Hello and welcome to the Science Fiction Book Review Podcast. My name is Luke Burridge and this is the show where I review every single science fiction book that I read as I read it. There's no set schedule, it's just whenever I finish a book I do the review, stick it up here on the podcast feed for everyone to download and listen to. And the book that I'm going to be reviewing on this episode is by Neil Asher. Um, it's called Gridlinked, it's Agent Cormac. Um, book number one. I think there's a trilogy of Agent Cormac books, and then the Polity Universe number three. Now, I just re- read and reviewed a another um, Neil Asher book, actually the Polity Universe number one book called Pradar Moon. And um, lots of people uh, that I've noticed. Oh, put it this way: there's different reading orders, and I mentioned this on this on this previous podcast that I was doing. That if you want to start off with book number one, um, it means that you start off. You can start off book number one chronologically or book number one publish order and uh, I didn't do that at all with Neil Asher I started off with series number three or something and I read Spatterjay and I was really impressed with it um it felt like a, a really good mix of world building and interesting characters and interesting technology set on a on a crazy um, pirate ship kind of thing. You know, all these different kind of crazy stuff mixed together. And it felt very well done, very refined and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I remember uh, it, it's one of those things that my memories of that book are probably a bit, um, a bit uh, more rosy because you kind of forget the things that annoyed you about it and I realise here I, re- I rated that book three three and a half stars um, now in my head it's like a solid four star book I would recommend it no problem at all anyway three and a half stars still a recommendation but uh, uh, maybe not uh, the greatest uh, book out there and I finished off that series then I went back and started let's, let's do the internal chrono- chronological order and I read um, Pradar Moon and it seemed a bit trivial and um, seemed to be reliant too much on how much you already know about the technology of the universe and what's going on and the bad guys and stuff like that. Um, And so I thought, well, I don't want to do that. I I want to get a full experience, you know, what people, you know, following along with the series and and how it's written, you know, just exactly how it's done. So then I thought, well, let's go to... um, back over now to uh, publication order and so that's what I've done unfortunately for th- me in this case I was like really looking at myself, I was like oh this is the book that started it all it's going to be great it's going to be interesting this is where all the world building the original world building for the polity um, happens and that's true you know all of the different technologies that I know from these other books were introduced here the runcibles and the runcible spoon and the uh, and the quince and um, and the uh, chain glass and all of these different um, technologies and world buildings and what the polity is and what's going on there is actually all in this book. And kind of in retrospect, reading that the introduction to those things made me appreciate or made me kind of enjoy Prada Moon a little bit more in retrospect. I was like, yes, that is the way round to read these um, books, I guess. You know, th- this is where you get, like I say, the introduction to the world. Um, and then you can pay that off later if you just read the payoff to the runcibles and things like that um, first it doesn't work however I didn't really think that of course going back and then reading it in publication order starting off with Gridlinked would mean that I'm reading somebody's first novel first published novel and um, it's uh, what, I, what I was expecting was something a bit more um, I know a bit more grounded maybe not grounded isn't the right word but sort of a a little bit more sure of itself Um, just that kind of confidence and maturity that comes with already having written 
four or five books, like Spatterjay, the first book in that series. It's sort of like the characters are just like, oh, we don't have to rely on tropes for the characters to work. We don't have to rely on all these other kind of things. And that, I think, is what um, sets this book apart. This book, um, uh, Griddlinked, could be like an amazing, amazing book because the world building in it is really good. The writing is fun. The action is clear. The ideas, the concepts behind some of the uh, big technology is is good and interesting. However, I think this book is let down by relying too much on some of the uh, science fictional tropes, but also just sort of like the um, like that. Ian Cormack, the um, the polity agent of the you know of the uh, uh, title or what is it Cormack Book One? Actually, let me quickly look back over to um, yes, Agent Cormack Number One. If this is Agent Cormack Number One, it's sort of like just saying, hey, Agent Cormack is James Bond. And I think even at one point it says later on in the book, oh, remember that character from the 20th century, Mr. James Bond? That's this guy. Maybe that's just in my imagination, but I'm pretty even sure. I'm pretty sure that James Bond is name-checked in the in the title. And I thought we were just reading about some random guy at the start of the book. He's undercover um, as his uh, uh, as his. I think he actually uses his own name undercover. I'm not sure. I can't remember what name he was using, but they seemed. Everyone seemed to know um, that he's he's Cormac, and um, and yeah, I guess that's a bit like James Bond. It's always like James Bond. Who are you? I'm a wealthy businessman. My name is Bond, James Bond. <laughs> like, how does everybody not know? Well, of course, of course, everyone in the intelligence uh, services uh, and around the world do know who James Bond is, or they should do. Um, but uh, yeah, similar kind of thing here. And then he um, he's undercover somewhere, and he's sort of like it seems like he's on a quite minor adventure, a minor mission. And then he's got called up to the big leagues, and it's sort of like, oh, you've got to go over here and do this. And then as you read through the book, you're like, oh, actually, this isn't a new guy. This isn't somebody who has to develop in a certain direction to get better at their job, to to you know to learn the the rules of the game, to to get better in this. I you know I I guess that's what I was expecting this being the first book in the series of Agent Cormac. But it turns out Agent Cormac is like, you know, super good and super competent. He's been an agent for like 70 years or something, or he's 70 years old and he's been an agent for, you know, 50 years. I can't remember, but he's like really high up. And then later on, we meet the the top human in the, in the whole of the polity, um, and they're like, oh yeah, and Ian Cormac is regarded just slightly below the main guy. So, I'm, so, and by the end of the book, he's sort of like he just overcomes all the stuff. There isn't anything that really stresses him out. He he wins the day at the end, and you're like, okay, that is a little bit too close to James Bond. Now, I don't mind James Bond doing stuff like that. In fact. The, the the recent James Bond movies I don't think um, hold up so well because they try and make him more angsty and try and make some bigger stories and actually what James Bond I want him to do I do want him to be just you know running through and shooting stuff and coming up with a plan and going alright and using the gadgets and all of that's in this book but it's really difficult to then root for someone who is just so good and so highly regarded and just he he doesn't lose i don't think there's a moment in this book where he isn't completely in control of what's going on and that wouldn't be an issue i guess if 
if then the story was good enough or the intrigue was good enough. And there are some great things in this story. Like it started out and I was like, oh, okay, just a minor guy. And then he um, he uh, he kills someone's sister. And then the person whose sister he kills is like then, oh, now I want my revenge to kill this guy. And I'm like, okay, but what does this other guy really want? This, um, I can't remember his name. Let me actually quickly scroll down on the Goodreads page, see if anyone else meet, meets him. Oh yeah, Mr. Crane. It's not Mr. Crane. Mr. Crane is the uh, sidekick. Um, uh, I don't see it right here. Um, I can't, oh, Polter? Colter? Polter? Pelter? Pelter. Maybe Pelter. So Pelter is like just this guy and he gets injured and he gets a, a, an implant stuck in him and then it's sort of like, oh, and now I want to kill Ian Cormack to get revenge on him killing my sister. Um... And I was like, okay, but yeah, no, what, what does this guy really want? Like, what's got really going on here? And it was like, I'm like, no, I just want revenge. And you're like, okay, no, but what do you really want? You can't just want revenge. He killed your sister and now you want to kill him and you're going to go to any length. Like, you know, you're going to um, kill anybody that you come across, sell your, all your assets, buy a spaceship, buy passage this way, buy all these guns, get together a mercenary crew. And it's sort of like, he just wants to kill Cormac. And I was like, that can't be the main antagonist or the main, the, the, one of the main main storylines is just a revenge story with a psychopath going and now I want to kill you because you killed my sister again that's okay to be like a minor plot thread or a minor motivation it feels like that should be a minor motivation in one of the main characters sort of like oh if the chance comes up I'll find you know the six-fingered man and then you know you killed my father blah 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 whatever like that prepare to die anyway it's sort of like a minor thing. It's a character flavor, not the main motivation of one of the main antagonists in the whole book. It can't just be... And then at the end, again, don't want to give too much away, it just fizzles out. That whole storyline just fizzles out. And it doesn't fizzle out in a way that, oh, okay, there's this other main storyline. There's a big, you know, big dumb object, big... Um, uh, planet-sized brain um, alien maneuvering high technology stuff going on as well and I thought okay and at the end this is all going to come together and this revenge narrative is going to get in the way of the other one and it's going to pay off in a big way they're going to interact in an interesting way and because this other you know this big planet brain um, alien intelligence kind of judging humanity or it says it's judging humanity maybe this guy turning up at the end is going to be the thing which um, says to this uh, alien brain actually humanity is bad because they're just driven by evil revenge kind of stuff or you know there's all this kind of thematic stuff and story stuff that could have played out in the end but actually what happens they get to this sort of like this big showdown at the end and there's going to be the two big showdowns happening sort of Ian Cormack versus um, Pelter uh, the, the psychotic bad guy and Ian Cormack versus the uh, um, big alien technologist and you're like okay here it comes and they just go okay here's a bit big alien technology okay wait a second pause a second pause a second let's just finish off this other storyline over here with this psychotic guy who wants revenge okay wait a second okay and now let's get back to the galaxy brain um, uh, alien technology thing and play it off. And I was like, wait a second, you can't just pause one plot and then like what, pause one main thread of the book and then go across, finish off this other one and then come back and... <laughs> and then you can't just like you, the whole point of having different threads in the book is that you switch between you don't switch between them they you, you you start off switching between them and then at the end they combine so what you have, have in this book is that agent Cormac has got this adventure that he's going on and then he go like he does that he does the you know the, the stuff 
you know, with the big alien, and he and he does it. And there's a mild inconvenience along the way with this uh, revenge plot, this um, Coulter, Poulter, Pelter, a revenge plot, and then. It's it's just kind of really unsatisfying that they don't meet up, they don't pay each other off, they don't they're not thematically linked, you know. It just bounces like this whole thing. They just it always just bounces off of Ian Cormack, who has our James Bond polity agent type thing, and again, I, I wouldn't have minded if the um, if the uh, if the uh, revenge plot by. Polter, Coulter, Pelter, Pelter, I think his name is. I keep saying, I keep getting mixed up. Pelter. Uh, let me just search um, on the. Uh, oh yeah, Arian Pelter, a vicious psychopath is right there in the. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's right in the blurb on the top of uh, the Goodreads page. You can see I didn't read it here. Uh, with the Runsbell out, Cormac must get there by ship, and he has incurred the wrath of a vicious psychopath, um, Arian Pelter, who now follows him across the galaxy with a terrifying psychotic killer android in tow. Um, and you're like, okay, that's cool, but yeah, that's half the book. Pelter is half the book, not exactly just him, because there's a there's another character who go with Pelter, with who, who is one of the viewpoint um, uh, characters. Um, and yeah, that's that's half the book. Half the book is the antagonist, and half the book is Cormac doing his thing. And at the end, they don't link up and they don't pay each other off. So it kind of just ends with a ah, okay. Um, now the it's not to say that it's not interesting along the way. I really enjoy the world building here. You know, the polity is an interesting place not to be in, but to be on the edges of. And I understand now why people say that this is uh, very much like the culture um, novels, the culture series, is that you could tell the story of what happens inside the culture. And there are a few books that are based entirely within the culture, but not many. Most of them take place on the edges, on the fringes, outside the culture, where the agents, um, where the special circumstances and the, the co or contact, which is, you know, the division which contacts other civilizations, and then special circumstances, which is sort of like the, uh, the, the dark side, darker side of that, the sort of more confrontational, undercover kind of stuff, um, is a special circumstances. And so that's all. That's all uh, good. That you, you. It's uh, the stuff around the edges, which is more important. But inside the culture, seems to be a. Uh, it's all run by artificial intelligences. But it seems to be very utopian. You know, it's sort of like yes, this is the best of what we can do. The best of everything. And what I enjoy about the the polity is that the people who live there. It's kind of presented as a utopia, but it really isn't a ut utopia. And I kind of like how that's brought up. Um, kind of in the um, chapter introductions in this book, which are one of my favourite parts of this book, and I noticed that the, the same they had the same thing going on with um, uh, at least with the um, Predator Moon, where you have the guides to different bits of technology or guides to different characters from some encyclopedias. It's it's very much a uh, uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy kind of thing, sort of like starting off. Oh yes, uh, Earth mostly harmless, and uh, and it goes on and you know this is the intergalactic gargle blaster, blah blah blah, and it and it gives you it fills you in on that, and there's different. Um, uh, different uh, um, 
authors of these um, chapter headings. One of them is sort of like um, How It Is by Gordon. And you're like, oh, Gordon has sort of like this kind of like no bullshit confrontational, like this is this is the way it comes and this is what it is. And the other one is something, the guide... Um, Quince's guide uh, and quince are the people anyone who travels through a runcible uh, is called a quince so the quince's guide so if you're traveling around the quince's guide is very much more like the hitchhiker's guide uh, written by humans and the idea being that of course the artificial intelligence is running running everything so this is what humans should think you should know about this rather than just getting your information from the artificial intelligences and there's kind of a, a fun interplay between um those guides i think there might be one or two others but those are the main ones um quince's guide and how how things are is it how things are how it is um and they're kind of like talking backwards and forwards, uh, you know, oh, this is this happened. Oh, and this isn't this can't be true because this is not very good. And here's this legend of this, you know, and you kind of see that, those things reflected in the story. Like, oh, this is where runcibles come from. This is what the chain glasses and all the other technologies that kind of explained within these little um, chapter introductions. And um, what was I saying about those? I was going to make a broader point. Oh, yeah. So as you go through those, you understand that, ah, the polity isn't really as utopian as it's said to be. And there's a reason why they're having all of these issues with separatists. Sort of like, oh, there's separatists on this planet and there's separatists on this planet. And this planet over here wants to leave the polity and this planet over here wants to leave the polity and this planet over here wants to leave the polity. And you're just like, okay, like, so if the polity is so great, why are so many people wanting to leave? And as you get, as you get further into the book, you're like, oh, right, okay, this isn't all this, you know, the artificial intelligences are running things but it's sort of like oh in this trolley and trolley problem maybe it is better to kill these people oh in this trolley problem like oh if over here this this criminal does this what we should do oh just wipe their minds and then we can use their body and stuff like that would be a waste not to use the body and you're like oh that's a bit that's like the opposite of the culture so this kind of feels like if the if the culture is one thing the polity is kind of like a a weird uh, dystopian reflection of that um, and those ideas. Not to say that this is as good as a culture novel or anything like that. It, it doesn't have the doesn't have the depth or the character building. It's it's the characters are very like I wouldn't say one dimensional, but like only dimensions that you've uh, that you've seen before. All right, so there's a bit about the plot and the world building. I would talk a bit about the themes of the novel, but I think there's not really that many of them. It's more like okay, here is an adventure and now let's have a bit of an adventure in space and now let's have a, a car chase um but with anti-gravity cars and now let's have a battle here and that battle there um so uh yeah i'm not really sure you read this kind of book for themes which is strange because like i i do think like later on in these books sort of like i say i've read i've read the um the spatter j novel and the spatter j trilogy it does feel like there's just more going on there's more there and i think that's probably because this is a first novel um there is this there is this kind of plot of um Cormac kind of recovering his humanity. He's been gridlinked for so long and that means his his mind has been connected to a uh, to an artificial intelligence, which is great because it means that he doesn't have to um look things up or ask questions. There's all he's got all the knowledge of all the world just piped into his brain, but it does stunt his humanity, stunt his emotional connection with with other humans. And it feels like a little bit of that is there, and you're like, oh, okay, maybe he's going to work through this. But 
it's not really, if that happens, it's not really explicit. He starts off not being that great of a guy and not having good emotional connections with people. He, like, sleeps with someone and then kills them the next day, and you're just like, well, that's a bit of a dick thing to do. And by the end of the book, he doesn't, I thought he would then use his emotional connections with people to solve the problems at the end. And again, I think it's just one of those things that, and this is a first novel, which seems to be like, let's focus on, there is a story, there is a plot, and there is some action, let's focus on that. Which he's just kind of like, no, I want, I wanted this thing which was introduced, like the, the novel is called Gridlinked, because if you're Gridlinked too long, I think, I mean, it could have been called Not Gridlinked Anymore, and you'll be like, ah, that's interesting, that's a more interesting thing. Someone has to find their humanity again after being connect, too connected or connected for too long with an artificial intelligence. Um, again, that could have been it, but it doesn't really pay off. At one point, they're just like, oh, yeah, there's this ship, and they're like, how many people are on the ship? He's like, mm, 12, and they're like, no, 55 people on the ship. He's like, and if you, were, if you had human connections, you would have noticed all these people, or you would have asked and said, well, how many people on the ship? How big is it? Who are we dealing with here? Like, let's find out some stuff about these people. Um, which I'm sure is true, but then, then he's sort of like, oh, it's time for a sex scene. And he goes, just looks at someone and says, you're attractive, and then cut to sex on the bathroom floor. And I'm like, I, that wasn't really the payoff to having to find emotional connections with people. And then that person that he has sex with kind of hangs out in the story. But later on in the book, there were some characters I was like, is this the female character that he had sex with earlier? Because if so, he seems to have put her out of the mind and there's just nothing there. There was like this fleeting storyline of her, him being, well, now it's back to business time and we can't do the whole thing with us, you know, smooching and talking about last night and stuff because it's business. So later on, we can get back to, you know, the smoochy pillow talk stuff, but this is business time. And then later on, they never do get back to the smoochy, smoochy pillow talk. And it's just... And then I, I couldn't even keep track of which character he had had sex with. Now, maybe that's because, oh, this is what it's like to be someone who's been griddling and doesn't have emotional connections. But um, no, I thought, again, uh, a, a thematic or character development thing which didn't pay off in the end. So, um, yeah, what else do I say about this novel? Let me quickly look on... <laughs> this is the... Uh, way of doing it. Look on Goodreads and see what listeners to the podcast also think of it. Um, Stevie Kincaid rated it um, two stars. This was the third Neil Asher book I read. The consensus among fans seems to be start with the prequel, Prado Moon and I agree 100%. Prado Moon was tight focused and non-stop thrill. That Gridling kind of ambled here and there and I found it a little hard to get into or care about. That is true. This is a long book. Um, the audio book came and it was sort of like in two sections. I was like, what? Why is this book like 14 hours of audio book? Look, paperback, 423 pages. Pradar Moon, it was like, it was over in like eight hours or like half, it felt half the length of this. In some ways it felt more frivolous than this, but this does feel padded out. So I think I do agree with um, Stevie Kincaid in that one. Uh, it, there isn't a lot to care about in this book, uh, but it isn't the focused non-stop thrill ride. Now, I actually wanted more from Predator Moon. I didn't want it just to be a tight, focused, non-stop thrill ride. I did want the, the wider universe to come in. I wanted more world building. I wanted more characters. And in that, again, I don't remember anything about any of the characters in that book, but I do remember the big story points. The story itself was a lot clearer. Um, so uh, I'm not really sure. Uh, with lowered expectations, this, this might be more enjoyable. Um, I have heard more than one person say the third book, Brass Man, Asher has really hit a stride within the Polity universe. And this is uh, one of the great recent series. Maybe maybe that's true. Um, uh, Tudor Carl... Carl, Carl 
Kiola, Tudor, let's just say. This book is fantastic melange between intelligent plot, great action, interesting characters, and some very profound questions. Well, Tudor, could you tell me what those very profound questions are? Because I didn't really pick up on them. Um, uh, here's David uh, Agranoff saying, uh, what does he say here? Uh, the best standalone... Uh, the best standalone 21st century novel would be Ashes the Skinner. That book literally knocked me silly. Um, and this is, uh, I guess he thinks, not quite as good as that. Uh, yeah. Oh, he also mentions it's a bit, um, you know, it's a bit, uh, it, it could be a little bit cyberpunkish. And there is some cyberpunk stuff going on in here. Like, again, all the connected to computers, the implants in the brain. Um, but it, it, it seems to just be like, here are some cyberpunk tropes and here are some, um, you know, military science fiction tropes. No, not military science fiction, like um, space opera tropes. And this is some other bits and pieces. Uh, it never really felt like... Uh, exactly one kind of novel, which is a bit weird, actually, because Spatterjay was the same thing. Uh, the series started off as, like, here is some weird science fiction pirate adventure kind of thing, and, and I was like, oh, great, like, this is really cool. Some weird, you know, like, lots of biological stuff going on in that one, um, biotech, but with also science fiction stuff. And then it ended up as space battle. Like, at the end of the third book, it was space battles and stuff. So this is, I guess, all of the Spatterjay series is kind of in here with the different... Uh, uh, different life forms and different technologies and space battles and things, but uh, um, I don't know. Just without without, it's not as not as strong as the Skinner series as well. Um, uh, Tamahomi, who has to be mentioned on every podcast, rated three stars. Not bad. I like the little chapter intros explaining the tech more than the plot. <laughs> Chain glass, bubble metal, um, zero G wine, etc., and the psychotic psychotic android Mister Crane. Uh, I might like later novel like I might like a later novel better. I hear I hear he has good monsters. All right, so uh, I guess that's enough from there. So people obviously thinking similar stuff for me. It's sort of like oh, it's good. I like the world building and technology and the cha chapter introductions. Um, yeah, I think I'm just going to keep going with this series because no matter how many complaints I have about this novel it was still a good novel I'm still going to give this like three and a half stars which feels a bit high but it did give me more of what I wanted from the polity which was after Preda Moon I was like I didn't get the big deep connection and good introduction to the polity universe that I felt I needed to have and this book did give that to me I do feel I know much more about what the polity is and about the um, not so much about the politics but just sort of like yeah the, the setup of the world which was kind of background like deep background of um, the uh, the Skinner um, uh, no it was a Spatterjay series um and uh, and was kind of assumed in Prado Moon, and it was sort of like, and now here's a battle. And I was like, no, give me more about this. And this is very much more of a travelogue. So he goes here, he goes there, he meets with this, we talk to the AIs, we see some interaction with the aliens, we know what the Separatists are. So this book did give me what I want. It just was a bit long, and I did find the characters um, a not as compelling enough as I wanted them to be. I haven't even mentioned some of the main characters or who gets introduced here um, in this in this uh, in this review. Again, I want to leave a lot of stuff for you to discover yourself. Um, but uh, yeah, they they weren't always a compelling. And also, I just found it a little bit uh, first novel like in that like oh I've got this one good idea and I've got this other one other good idea and here's these two main stories and I was like yes and then thematically weave them together and connect them together and pay pay them off and stuff and that never really happened in this book I never really felt a payoff a sort of like I got to the end and I was like well why did we spend so much time with that character and it's good that these other characters can be over here and hopefully they'll come back in following novels but uh, um, yeah I wanted uh, a little bit more um, 
a little bit more uh, weaving of the stories together rather than just presenting the stories as they were. So, uh, so yeah, overall, I'll give this book three and a half stars. And, um, and I've already looked at uh, and Goodreads and, and looked at some other people's reviews. Um, uh, Goodreads itself, on average, from everyone, gives it a 3.97. And um, Friends Reviews, which is pretty much listeners of the SFBIP who become my friends on Goodreads, which you should do, 3.58. So I think I'm pretty much right in the average of a, three, a 3.5 star review. Um, I actually realise here on Goodreads I actually clicked the four stars because it was always like a three and a half star book in my head. But I might just bring that down to three stars um, because then if I need to... Um, if other if other books in this series get better, I will uh, then on Goodreads be able to show which ones I uh, appreciate more. And I'm not sure any of these are going to get to five stars. But it's fun. It's worth reading. I totally understand why people are like, hey, I want some more Peter F. Hamilton, but Peter F. Hamilton writes too slowly. <laughs> and uh, I want some more Ian M. Banks, but he's dead. And, and I want some more, you know... Um, Richard K. Morgan, but, you know, he's writing fantasy now, and you're just like, hey, you know, Neil Asher's over here. He's, uh, he's pretty much exactly what he want. What does it say here? Where is, where is Neil Asher from? Um, I guess he's British. He must be British. This is, like, super, super British book. Um, so uh, I'm cool with that. Uh, it must be Scot Scot British or Scottish or English, some somewhere from Albion. All right, um, that's it for me. Uh, you can find me on goodreads.com. Oh, yeah. Also, um, go to the Goodreads, so the SFBRP listener group on Goodreads and re re recommend books there or mention, comment on previous reviews um, in there and other people join in the conversation with other SFBRP listeners. Um, that'll be cool. And uh, you follow me on Twitter. I'm at Luke Burridge there. And on Instagram, I'm at Luke Burridge on Instagram. YouTube, I'm at Luke Burridge on YouTube or slash forward slash profiles, user slash whatever, Luke Burridge. Um, and uh, yeah, next up will probably be Red Mars, maybe whenever Juliana finishes it, um, or uh, another book, which I can't remember the title of, but I've not remembered the title. Uh, oh, The Library at Mount Char, whoever that's by. Uh, it is in my head somewhere. I was reading that a bit last night, and it is weird, but fun. Um, right, that's it for me. Thanks a lot for listening, and I'll catch you next time. <laughs>